Welcome back to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. I'm your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and so grateful to have you joining me today. People often ask me how I integrate my faith into my counseling practice, and usually what they want to know is how do I avoid imposing my values onto other people? How do I counsel people who are non-religious? Or how do I work with clients who have a different moral belief system than what the Catholic Church proposes? And while those questions are certainly important, they are secondary to a more fundamental question. How does the work of psychotherapy aid the spiritual life? If we can get that one answered well, then all the other moral or ethical questions will fall into place. And so joining me today on this episode to answer that question is Paul Ruff, licensed psychologist and assistant director of human formation at St. Paul Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. We share personal and professional ways that we have seen the connecting points with psychological theory and the Catholic Christian journey of faith. Without making false dichotomies, we share the importance of distinguishing the psychological life from the spiritual life and how to utilize and draw from both resources in the suffering that we experience in life and in our relationships. We end this episode by talking about if there is a true self and then highlight the differences between psychological change and movement and growth in life with true spiritual conversion and renewal. If you have ever wondered how to find the balance between your emotional and spiritual health, this is your episode. And when the show is done, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Thank you, everybody. And let's get into this episode with Paul Ruff. Well, good morning, Paul Ruff. Welcome to the Always So Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Dr. Mario. Really nice to get a chance to chat with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I've appreciated our conversations up at IPF and, and I just value your perspective on some of the things that we're going to be talking about. So just to, by way of introduction, could you just say a little bit about yourself and, and who you are and, and uh, yeah, just what, what's going on in your life? Yeah, sure. I would be happy to. I'm uh, so I'm a licensed psychologist here in Minnesota. Uh, we got we got to do that years ago. I'm an old man. I'm 63, so we got to do that years ago with our master's degree. We had to pass the same exam as the doctoral one, but so I have that that privilege of d- doing that with all of the dissertation work that you recently had to do. Uh, so the uh, the work I've done has been in private practice for about oh, 30 years, primarily in private practice. Used to be with adolescents, more in families, and then switched more and more to adult work over time. A lot of work with, with men. And I've, as a therapist, I had a reputation with our diocese, our archdiocese of being a Catholic therapist. I didn't bill myself expressly that way to the public. I really loved the range of clients I would get, both from within the church and without. And uh, it was always interesting for me too to see, as I did that, what was the, what did the faith add? What dimensions did that add for people in the uh, in in their you know journey towards growth? Also, in what ways did they use their faith defensively against growth? Which is another you know interesting thing to be observing of over time. Um, and then over time, did more and more work with priests and seminarians who would come my way. And during the time of sort of our recent crisis here, we went through a bankruptcy in the last years uh, as a result of the, you know, the 
you know, somebody was just saying, I don't like to use the word scandal because scandal sounds like something you shouldn't talk about. Mm. You know, as a result of historic misbehavior that finally came fully to light, there was a lot of lawsuits and there's been a really significant healing. But I went through a very dark time in that myself and almost moved away from working with priests and seminarians. Mm. But in spiritual direction, really discerned maybe a call deeper in and, and, uh, in a way, offered myself and my services to the seminary at St. Paul Seminary, which has been a joy. I've been there for five years now, and I find uh, a great welcome for what I can add, the dimension of what psychology can bring to both the uh, discernment process, but more so to the formation process as men move towards a greater wholeness and health. And in that capacity, I just still do see some priests who will come in. Mostly work with seminarians, do some training of formation staff on how to help their conversations with seminarians go deeper, um, how to understand some issues they might be bumping into, um, and then we get to do a little bit of teaching with human formation in both the permanent diaconate and the, and the, uh, the seminary programs, and, and do some speaking and a little bit work with retreats in the area, too, at times. So it's really opened up beautifully. I've been very, very blessed with recent work. Hey. Uh, in my private life, I'm a father of, of, I used to say four, I now say six. We lost two along the way, and through, through a couple of Rachel's Vineyard retreats, the two that we lost became very real to me. I, I was uh, helping facilitate Rachel's Vineyard retreat for post-abortive women, but they really also bring to light all of the miscarriages that have happened. And it was really a very meaningful experience. I'm, I'm the father of six, four of whom have grown to adulthood. And now the grandfather of four. So that's been a really new delight. Two of them are in the house right now. <laughs> well, maybe we'll hear them in the interview at some point. It could, could happen. Could happen. Nor it could break in. Oh, Paul, is so beautiful. Thank you for, for sharing everything and introducing yourself to the audience. Um, another question that I have just as we begin here is, what drew you to psychology as a profession? What drew you to wanting to say that this is what I wanted to do in, in the service of, of people? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, 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 I still wonder that sometimes myself. It was, uh, I think what I really am drawn to, in my family, people tend to be journalists or, or and a number of us have been psychologists. I think we all love the human story. And I, I always love to see uh, sort of the narrative arc of what God's doing in our lives and how that unfolds and how. Uh, beautiful and mysterious that is, and to be a facilitative part of that unfolding is quite a privileged seat to be in with people. That's and beautiful. so that's been a beautiful, a beautiful thing. It can be a very painful seat as you watch, you know, the human, all the dimensions of human suffering. But uh, out of my faith, I've always thought any place there's suffering, there's going to be an outpouring of grace if we can be receptive to it. So I, I think that's been my my alliance inside of myself and in my spiritual life, and for my clients is to hold hold open all that space of hope that I can um, in the midst of things that can be dark or things that can be just stuck, and and then you know to do all the realistic psychological work, but to do it from a framework of real real hope and the resilience God's built into us and the the, the the calling he's the, the calling he's calling forth from each of us. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful, Paul. Thanks for for sharing all of that. I I agree with what you said in terms of just the narrative. I think that's such a powerful way of looking at our lives is this story that's unfolding, and 
for me, I think it, I've, that's what drew me to be a counselor. It's also what draws me so much to movies. I, I love film and, and good yeah. art in that regard that when you see the right. story unfold, it kind of it touches into elements of our own hearts. Um, and so being able to play a role in helping people kind of with this journey of faith and this journey of self-discovery, I think that's really what I want our conversation to, to be about is recognizing that we're on a journey and that on this journey of faith, that, that change happens. Um, so the first question I would like to ask you is something you already kind of hinted at, which is as a Catholic therapist, you said you did something mm-hmm. you build yourself out at, to be right out of the gates, but it's kind of, it became something where you're presenting, you're Catholic mm-hmm. and you're practicing and people are finding you. And so they're coming to you. And the question that you were intrigued with was how does faith help the psychological practice? Um, right. But then I want to, I want to ask both questions right out of the gates here. And so you could take your time with them where we can kind of go back and forth, but sure. How does faith help our psychological makeup, but then how does our psychological makeup help our faith also? Um, Because I see, I I know we can't like uh, make false distinctions. I get it that we're one body, we're one soul, we're we're a single entity. But at the same time, there are kind of composites, I guess, dimensions, if we can say that within us. And and one of those dimensions is the spiritual and, and maybe the psychological or the human. Um, I, I would say the psychological then, you know, and being able to kind of make those distinctions because in some cases, if we don't make those distinctions that we can kind of confuse everything and we can think that it's all one and right. the same and, and that's, that's dangerous. But when we separate it too much, then we can fall into like an atheism or, or a, a reductionism of the person. So, so always trying to hold the tension between both. So I'm eager just to hear what, what all that means to you. I hope that question made sense. Um, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. 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 No, it's something I've certainly done a lot of thought about and don't have a real neat answer for. That's okay. So we got, we got time. Into, it's a long, it's a long podcast. Yeah. So, so we, well, got, we got time to work go with back it. And forth. Let's go back and forth on it too, because I think that's how our discussions tend to go. Marcus, that would be <laughs> a, a delight. So in, interject mm-hmm. if I'm going into a long piece. Got it. And let's go back and forth. The, uh, Coming into seminary formation is quite interesting because the old language in the documents for seminary formation, old being the last uh, iterations uh, about the the, uh, the program for priestly formation, talks about the pillars of formation. And as soon as I heard that language, I thought, that's that's not the right language because they talk about the human, the intellectual, the spiritual, and the pastoral pillar. And I thought, boy, but we're working on integration. How do you don't integrate pillars? That's well, hold too, on, hold on. Before we even rigid. go any further, I'm going to inject right there. Yeah. So, so the program for priesthood formation then is the governing document that right. uh, that that looks at American seminaries and says, okay, these are yes. the things that we're looking at. And the four pillars or the four dimensions, as you said, it used to be called pillars, which made it seem like they were silos and they didn't really touch with one another. Right. Exactly. Rather than now looking at the word dimension, that there there's kind of this intermingling across. That there's four, yes. four of them that kind of guide the, the holistic approach to priestly formation. So the, the, the human, right. the spiritual, the pastoral, and the intellectual. Because of academic institutions and, and accreditations and, and those things, the intellectual tends to take a lot of the energy of the effort um, because we are awarding a degree. While at the same time, we, we can't ignore the other three either. And so exactly. um, the, 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 the place where you, where you work a lot in the seminaries, a role that I had when I was at Notre Dame Seminary was in the human formation. Um, right. My my title within that would be Assistant Director of Human Formation. Yeah, yeah. That was the same title I had. So let's bring this back then to, sorry to interrupt you, you were saying about guys okay. coming in and, and looking at these dimensions and and and, and what, is, what does that mean then when we, look, when we talk about the psychological and the spiritual? Right. So 
as I look at them within the seminary, um, as I, I, and I see a number of men in counseling, and they're very free to come. There's no stigma attached. Uh, it's a, it's not, it's, it, it is a, a private service unless we all determine it needs to be something brought into light. And men are very good at working with me on that. Um, as I work with, with men, I'll often see as the psychologist, I'll say, you know, your dimension with God the Father, as I can see it from a psychological perspective, seems to be pretty truncated and predicated on your father who you found inadequate in these ways. And could you talk to your spiritual director about that relationship for you as beloved son with the father? Because there's something there that we're going to work on here, but there's a dimension that needs to be dealt with spiritually as well. So the same issue is going to show up in both of those dimensions. For me, the higher dimension is always spiritual. If something really changes, and it's not just if there's a spiritual shortcut around a psychological issue, but if there's real spiritual growth, it'll always radiate down. It'll permeate the psychological. If there's psychological growth, I think it opportunes potential for spiritual growth. But it doesn't always radiate up because people can often defend against that. So I, I do I, in, in order of business, the spiritual is always of a higher order. It's dealing with something much more basic and fundamental in our relationship with God. And uh, the, the psychological is more dealing on the level of that narrative of the person unfolding and their developmental processes. Yeah. And yeah. Looking, looking at obstacles in that as well. How do we help get those out of the way so growth can happen? Amen. Amen. Yeah. The, the, the way I think about it is it, the, the psychological is at the service of the spiritual. Absolutely. That, that, yes. you know, at the end, it's the spirit that, that, that union with God, that's what, that's the spiritual journey. I mean, the spiritual life is, yes. can be summed up in that. It's our journey towards heaven and, that's right. and, and all the obstacles that get in the way of that. Now, some of those things we look in the classic tradition, even before psychology was kind of a, a thing, I guess, you know, in the last 150 years, we looked yes. at, we spent a lot of time thinking about what are the obstacles that prevented us. Um, and vice was, was one of those. And those vices are still there. Um, but right. now as we have a little more attentiveness to narratives and psychological makeup, we recognize that, you know, there are other things that can prevent us kind of in our growth. Um, and, and, and God works with all of it. Um, so, That's right. you know, you, you spoke about somebody who maybe has a, a history where they had a, a negative experience with their, with their, with their earthly father and that playing out with their heavenly father. Um, but what about somebody just kind of giving some more context to this? What, what about somebody who does sure. struggle with depression, somebody who has some real sadness and That's right. uh, they, they see it as a cross, they're trying to grow, but, but man, like they just really have those moments where it's just really, it's really intense. How would you separate or make those distinctions uh, for somebody in that From, type of situation? Yes. I mean, there's sort of the distinctions of what's a dark night of the soul, which is quite distinct too from a depression. Yeah, yeah, I'm not even going there. Uh, you know, that's, a, that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's well advanced in the spiritual life, just, just for the normal yeah. run of the mill. I think people are too right. quick to toss that out when, you know, you might, it might be a psychological issue more than it is a spiritual one. That's right. Uh, you know, and I think when we say psychological issue, we, we want to first think about the biological issue mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with depression when we're talking about depression. So uh, I do think, you know, we have developed a, a science of looking at, uh, you know, how are our neurotransmitters functioning and what are ways that we can help that. And there's certainly family histories that both through nurture, but also through nature, through genetics, can have some people loaded more for anxiety and depression 
In my family, we specialize in doing anxiety. <laughs> Other families specialize more in depression. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've always said if, if you know, if, if it was a college sport, uh, myself and some of my siblings could have played maybe Division Two <laughs> for anxiety. But uh, you I know, would have would've, been competing would've been with on you. The bench. <laughs> I, would yeah. have, I probably would have been there with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'd have a lot of competition, but we, we would be good as a team. We're yeah, pretty yeah. good at it. Um, so I think there is there needs to be a realness about, well, I am a body. My 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 psyche is in, in fundamental relationship with my body. So I'd want to make sure that's tended to first, because often depression, once a person is depressed, it starts to look for the reasons why it's depressed. It'll always find reasons. Yeah. Uh, because everything looks bleak when you're depressed. But the real reason might be a physiological issue. So I encourage people to do exercise, which is one of the silver bullets for all sorts of things. Consult with the doctor if it's really looking intractable or quite profound, looking at medication, which I've used, a number of my family members have used. I think so these people say, well, I don't want to do medication. I'm like, well, you do it for other things. This is This could be just a physical issue for you. Uh, so there's that, uh, and then in terms of the the, uh, the the work with depression, you know, we know that some of the cognitive behavioral tools work well, helping people change the way they're thinking about the world. What's the story you're telling yourself about your experience? Um, and Stephen Hayes' work with acceptance and commitment therapy, I like as a kind of newer iteration of some of the cognitive behavioral stuff. How do I keep moving towards meaning in my life? And not over over relate to these symptoms, and let the the meaning sort of uh, carry me forward, my my values and my desires. Uh, so that's saying too little about a pretty complex thing. But I always want to look at depression multidimensionally. What's the physical component, the psychological? And I think it's it's fundamentally not. I mean, a lack of virtue in my life, creating sin, certainly could lead me to depression. And in that case, actually, depression is a really good dashboard light for me about something I need to tend to. I'm not living in right order with myself and with God. And depression symptoms can be very, very useful information about what's out of order. Can I look under the hood and see what's going on here? Mm. Uh, I don't ask people to just pray away the depression. And often, even as I'm working with people, and I'd be curious what you think on this for yourself, Mario, uh, people often want to pray to God to take their symptom away. And I say, you know, I think there can be, and I always say, go back and talk to your spiritual director about this. But let's assume that God always wants to be with us where we are. You're in this right now. Uh, Could you maybe consider and talk to your spiritual director or priest asking him, how does he want to be with you while you go through this? And what is he wanting to show or give you in this process? How is this weakness going to be a strength? Uh, so I think there's a way in which we in, invite people to have the Lord accompany us instead of just rescue us from things. But I think there's more often where God is going to want to work with us. Even if I was an atheist, I think it's a much better narrative. But I'm not an atheist. I think it's actually a, a deep truth for people. Wow. Makes sense to you for yeah. what you what you see. Yeah, I mean, you just threw out a lot, so I'm, I'm going to try to kind of pick at some of that. Yes. I mean, that was that was really well said. Um, the, the, the biology piece right there is is such a good one because people feel so much stigma when it comes to taking medicine. 
um, and, yeah. or, or ignoring just a biological, like going on a good run when I'm, when I'm anxious, the best medicine for me is to just go on a nice long run exactly. and, and burn, yeah. burn that out because there's something physiological happening. That cortisol level is inside of me. The adrenaline is kicking. My body is trying to run away from whatever lion or fight the lion. You know, I'm in the fight, flight, right. freeze stage. So let me just acknowledge that. Your endorphins kick in. That's it. Yep. So, mm-hmm. so let me go on a run. Let me go do what my body wants to do right now. <laughs> like, right. And, that's and, right. and that's what it's asking to do. Okay. So let's get out of this situation and then I can kind of settle down. Um, but I think for people, it, it just, it's like, maybe that's, and again, I know for people who are pervasive, I get it. You need more. You always have to go at a level of intervention, but with the medicine in the physiological, the way I kind of describe it is, um, because we feel like it's such a moral failing. Sometimes I'm like, well, you know, like you said, like if somebody has, they can't process sugar right in their body because their right. pancreas isn't working well. We, we, we get, we call that diabetes. That's not a moral failing, you know, it's, it's especially juvenile diabetes. It's just what it is. And so you take medicine to help regulate your blood sugar or, or the insulin shots or, right. you know, whatever it is. And, and you just have to kind of know how to do that. And, and sometimes that's, that's all it is. Um, and, and I think that can be very helpful for people. Um, yeah. But then, the, yeah, the some, someone, just to throw one out there too, and yeah. I want you to keep going. Sometimes all it is is a sleep disorder. Yeah. Right. I've had, you know, men of a certain age where I say, get a sleep study or get your thyroid checked. Sometimes it's only a thyroid issue. So there's a number of, number of possible culprits in that physically. Well, I mean, that's the gift of what I guess modern science has given us when we talk about the beauty of both science and, and faith is that we have a lot of different ways that we can look at these problems. And, and it isn't just one silver bullet, usually. Right. Usually it's, it's a combination of issues because we recognize that there's a complexity to who we are as people. And, and, and that's why that, that last piece that you said about the spiritual life in, in asking not just, that's really, it's really good, you know, and I think people need to hear that. I think I need to hear that also. That so often we just pray for God to take away the symptom, for God to take away mm-hmm. the pain that I'm experiencing rather than trying to listen to it and to hear... Right. Well, what, right. what, what's, what's manifesting in this? What, what is my fear right. revealing about a value set? What is, what is the sadness that I have that's revealing about a longing in my heart? What, where is this an invitation that, that God is placing in me through this pain right. uh, to, to, to unite myself to him? Exactly. Exactly. And sometimes it might be about an area of of, uh, you know, virtue that needs to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it really just may be, uh, I'm letting you uh, be in your helplessness so you can turn more deeply to me. It may not be a moral or, or virtue issue in particular, but it may just be about learning to be more receptive to your deep need. Yeah. Yeah. Even if there's not a spiritual cause per se to the depressive symptoms, there's going to be a spiritual fruit if we can embrace it. Yeah, and I think that's beauty. And embrace it does not mean I just endure depression. I do. I should do everything I do, can do, reasonably to alleviate the suffering. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and then, and then I get to trust the operation of grace and whatever results are are happening there as I walk through it. Let's br- let's bring this back down here, Paul, for a little bit. All right. So let's talk about psychology. All right. Um, you know, when we we do this work. Because we want to accompany people, we want to have a role in their narrative uh, towards movement, towards growth, towards maturity. Um, and so we want to guide people. Um, and I think that this is where good psychological theory helps. Um, yes. 
it, it's there's a lot of proven theories. Um, and I think what any theory does is this is my own conceptualization. This is what I tell my students when I teach this stuff is that a theory does kind of three things. Basically, it gives you an understanding as to why the problem exists in this person's life. So mm-hmm. depression. Right. Freud would have a different answer as to why depression's there than what Aaron right. Brick would have than what uh, right. Carl Rogers would have. You know, these are the great those right. are some of the great theorists. Right. They all have their own reasons mm-hmm. for why depression exists. And then they all have their own reasons to what health looks like. What what does it what does it mean to to get out of depression, for example, just using that as one example of many. And then any theory also provides certain skills or interventions to be able to to guide a person. And for me, I mean, when you're learning this stuff, the 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 focus always is to pick a theory, pick a theory, pick a theory. And I get it because you got to have some sort of integration, some sort of um, intentionality rather than integration, some sort of intentionality as to why we're moving the person from point A to point B. Um, what 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 are we trying to do with this rather than just kind of haphazardly picking interventions? Um, right. But I think as you get older, you realize, well, you know, there's a place where doing the deep uh, uh, depth work is is what's needed for this person. Um, mm mm-hmm. And then at some point you're like, no, this person just needs a little kick in the pants and, you know, kind of some interventions to get their, mm-hmm. their life in order. Mm-hmm. And a good therapist is able to kind of assess the problem and help a person kind of depending on on where they're at and has a lot of tools on that tool belt to help them kind of move forward in life. Um, so what do you think about kind of what I'm proposing here? Yeah, I think that's that's important. Yeah, I think one thing maybe that, that uh, I would add to the picture um, that not all models, this is a weakness in psychology is our anthropology. Correct. Uh, we, we look at correcting problems, but we, do, we don't carry as robust a model of what does a healthy person look like. And uh, th- I think that does, that can lead us to get too tangled. And some more recent theorists would sort of agree with this, not necessarily from a spiritual end, but it could lead us to over-relating to persons and their symptoms instead of looking at the health that's trying to happen, which that for me has been a sort of catchphrase, both in the church itself, what's trying to happen here, even in our darker moments, there's something very beautiful trying to happen. And for the individual, what's trying to happen? And how do we help them get in touch with it? So if I'm seeing somebody who is very depressed and near hopelessness, and they come into my office, They'll want to tell me about their symptoms, and fair enough, they should, and I need to listen deeply and care about that. But I'm always interested, too, is what part of you brought you here? Can you tell me about that part of you? And that's quite interesting to change that conversation. To There is a resource that's striving towards health. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think as we start to help people find that growth wants to happen, and something's in the way, and their their desire for growth is usually going to be what brings them in my office. And I want them to relate more to that desire and tell me about it and tell themselves about it in the process. So that becomes a, a source of that hope, but also it's a generative power, I think, for people. Yeah, I, I have been just well over, I don't know how to say it, through the moon, since I've discovered positive psychology and Martin Seligman's work and all the branches of it in terms of Barbara Fredrickson's work on positivity, yeah. and Shane Lopez's right. work on hope. I mean, it just, there's a lot yeah, of smart people. Yeah, Dan, that's it. that's yeah. exactly right. A lot of people who are 
really trying to understand like what this means to, to not just identify with our symptomology, but move towards health. And I think that the, 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 the gift in that is that, okay, so if we're trained to be able to help people through a particular modality, we can't, it's not just about, and I just had this conversation with, with, a, with Carlos Gomez in my, in my last episode about, we can't just, it's not just about getting out of the depression. Okay. That's first step. No. But what does it, what does it mean then to actually move forward in, in life yeah. in general? And, right. and, and even when somebody is depressed, I love the way that you asked that question, which is, well, what, what brought you here? I mean, there's some motivation yes. inside of you to not be right. where you are right now. That's the question that right. you're asking. And, can and you, there's some level of hope. Yeah, that's right. And, and so can you be in, in touch with that motivation? Um, can mm-hmm. you can you can you desire change in in really sustaining that? Right. And can you pay attention to, there's actually quite something quite interesting that happens is to say, can you tell me about that part of you? And often people will look a little confused and say, well, let's, let's think we're all, we all have these different parts in us. It comes to Mesa, you know, the papal preacher has a great line. If, if the Lord came today and asked me who I am, I would have to answer like the demoniac, call me legion because there are many of us. <laughs> And he's not saying he's possessed at all. He's saying, you know, I'm still working towards a unified uh, sense of my true self. Mm. So I say, can you tell me about that part of you? Because that's that's quite an interesting part. And to have them start to get language that holds it and describes it allows it, I think, to come to the fore in a different way. Uh, and it's 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 almost more it's more than just the wish. It's the part of them that has the wish. Can you tell me about that that part of you? Uh, it's quite interesting to start to get it more embodied and identified in a, in a, not just an ideational way, but a self way. So how does that help when you start identifying with that kind of hopeful side of yourself? I think what, and it may not always be hopeful, but it's mm-hmm. always going to carry some, it's going to carry some level of desperation and hope. They start to see their true heart's desire. And I think it puts them in touch with, you know, what a theologian or philosopher would say, the teleological urge in them for for growth, that growth always wants to happen. And it gets them paying attention to that instead of preoccupied with fighting against a symptom. Um, So I think they, they start to, often what happens if you see them in their chair, they will sit up, their shoulders will start to square. They'll look up to the left or right as they start to access. And I always ask people, what just happened in your body as you accessed that? Because they didn't know what happened, but I saw it. And they said, I don't know. Well, it looked like you did this. Oh, I did do that. What's it like to sit like that? It feels a little better. I said, that's interesting. Can you tell me about better? And we just sort of follow that trail as deeply as we can. Uh, so the body is such a beautiful agent in our transformation. And I think we we haven't had in psychology enough room until the last decade to really, and maybe the last 15 to 20 years, to really look at the body and the emotional life as key uh, agents in in psychological growth and transformation. So how would you define then psychological growth and transformation? What would that What would that look like for you? Yeah, that's that's a that's a that's a, a wonderfully big question. Uh, <laughs> I would say it, it, there is a sense in the person of 
if I was to give just some of the markers of it, you'd yeah. see a return of, of vitality, a sense of energy about life, a sense of being able to be uh, in their suffering and not consumed by it. There's a, there's a, a health of an observer self. I can, Father Gallagher in his Discernment of the Spirits talks about the self in desolation, but then what we need to develop is the self that can be with the self in desolation. So there's a part of, of me that stands outside of the fray um, enough that I can start to observe and go through the darkness of life, but not be consumed by it. Uh, there'd be a natural sense of curiosity. There'd be an increased sense of hope. Uh, there would be a re ordering of the moral energies and virtue that would happen not just by it'll require some discipline but not just by acts of discipline and will uh, there'll be a desire there'll be, it'll be a movement towards the good and the beautiful that is what we're built drawn to uh, it's not just in train it's really innate it's part of our ontology I think so you'd see people starting to find the sunset more beautiful they would start to feel some kinder feelings and have more natural empathy. I think when people really go deeply into this, they start to very naturally grieve their old life where they've had missteps, but not in a way that's morose at all, and move into a sense of new life that uh, that is like a point of arrival. Um, and this is something Diana Fosha talks about in beautifully descriptive ways. Fortunately, she wants to do it all reductionistically, mm-hmm. unfortunately, in my, my book, and, and say it's all just a registration of uh, neurochemistry. I mean, it's so meaningful. I don't know how you could do that to it. Uh, people will say things like, this is the real me. And, uh, and, it'll, and it'll, be, it'll have a sense of peaceful order in it within the person. Hi, my name is Jason Angelette, and I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Always Hope Podcast with my good friend, Dr. Mario Sacasa. I want to take this moment to talk about our new marriage enrichment series called United in Love, United in Christ. Inspired by St. John Paul II and his Theology of the Body, it explores God's plan and promise for spouses and provides practical steps in building what he taught to be the best way to a truly united and faithful love. These six date nights are intended to be used in a small or large group gathering at home or in a church parish. We look to the church's rich teaching on love and marriage, sacred scripture, saints, as well as personal stories from amazing, dynamic, and faithful couples. You know, marriage is not something bad that we're trying to make good, but rather it is a very good gift that God made to make us into saints. United is meant to help in that endeavor. For more information, go to faithandmarriage.org. Okay, so let's go back to this point where we bring these two elements together, the, the faith and the psychology. And I think right. we kind of already said it, that the place where we, where psychology is limited is in its anthropology, which is reductionistic, which tends to be atheist, which tends to be secular. Um, right. And I'm thinking about a client that I worked with for years, years ago, one of my very first clients that I worked with. And this was when I first came to awareness of, of, of this tension between both. And we did some great work. She was struggling with depression, some anxiety. Uh, she was in a, she was married. And, and as we were kind of working through, we did some, some real powerful depth work, giving her the opportunity to really kind of deal with those deeper issues and have some catharsis and then really kind of setting her up where she was really 
moving and having some of this transformation that you're speaking about, that she had more peace in her life, more, more certainty, more direction. Um, mm -hmm. And then with that agency, within a couple of sessions, she tells me that she's divorcing her husband and, and leaving. Um, right. And I thought, well, that wasn't what I was setting out to do, <laughs> you know, right. like, like, I mean, right. like, I know people have freedom. I know people have choice. It's not my responsibility. Yeah, I get that. But still at the same time, I was like, well, this, this, this new sense of discovery that you came to is wonderful. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, I, I wasn't intending it. I mean, that's why obviously I know like my own, my own sense of that, but like we can have these, and this is, I think where, where people kind of or, Catholics or Christians kind of get hung up with psychology. It's like, well, great. You come to this understanding of your true self, but then the first thing you do is you go, this newfound confidence, you go do something that runs contrary to the moral life um, with it. Right. And, and I, I, I think, I mean, I think there's, there are legitimate reasons people need to move for safety out of a relationship. hundred percent. But I think 100%. often, often those, those times that you're describing, um, there can be, I think, a an acting out of the new energy that really isn't a living in it. And I, I would actually see that behavior as what I would call an acting out. Uh, and it, probably as we get wiser, we get to help people anticipate some of that and maybe even start couples therapy as to say, you know what, you've got some new growth here. Your marriage wasn't built on this growth and you're going to need to now work on your marriage. Uh, you need to, you need to see if your spouse is willing to be involved in some way to integrate this new you. Uh, uh, David White is a poet with a lot of sort of spiritual, uh, and and I think there must be some Catholic in the background there. But he said his one of his phrases was, "If the life you're in is too small, you must leave it." Mm -hmm. But usually, it's too small because of the way you're relating to it. Right. So, I mean, he says both things, but he's mostly saying, slow down and look at you. Um, so I, I do think we need to, as, we, as much as we can, and we can't always anticipate that new growth is going to lead towards some senses of urgency that need to actually be slowed down. Right. So recognizing then, um, well, because a secular therapist with respect probably would have been like, yeah, great, you know, go, go continue to yeah. find yourself, go, go do your thing. Right. Um, go keep marching on and, and, and find who this person is. And what you're proposing is differently is you're, you're acknowledging that, okay, you just had this awesome growth and maybe there's a, yeah. an acting out a reaction to that. Um, right. you're examining your life and saying, well, maybe things yeah. aren't adding up, but, but, but not just throwing everything out and kind of hitting the reset button entirely, recognizing no. that all of it's part of your journey. And, and right. how do we then, this, right. how do we bring all of this together, uh, with, with this right. sense of change? Um, right. How do you bring your new self into your real life that you really do have that isn't accidental to you? Well, I'll and we say, are we're embedded in, in we're embedded in our relationships and we're co-creating each other. And uh, there's, there's almost a leaving of the self to me in that. There's a, a an abrupt leaving of a marriage. Well, I mean, if we just kind of pull on this string a little bit deeper, I mean, I find that that's that becomes very difficult. I think one of the hardest things in marriage is that because we're 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 together on this journey. But we are not always, I think people forget this, that we're not always maturing or growing at the same pace. That's and right. It's not like we're lockstep all the way, you know, into eternity. There's sometimes where somebody has a, a profound growth or change about finances, for example, or maybe right. somebody uncovers or discovers rather the church's teaching on contraception. And so now wants to live out of that. And so how do you, 
how do you find the balance and the tension in both of that while still being faithful to your vows? Because I've seen people yes. come back from like a theology of the body retreat or or um, mm-hmm. or some awareness mm-hmm. of of a deep conversion, maybe not just with theology of the body, but in general. And there's right. just this profound desire to want to live out of this, and and it's just falling flat, you know, in their spouse's heart, and right. so that becomes right. a profound place of tension, and then confusion and, and suffering and suffering, of course, and yeah, and then confusion because it's like, well, Lord, you called me to this, so why aren't you calling my spouse along fast <laughs> enough, you know? That's right, and I think in that, I mean, the reason I want to add the word suffering. I think people too quickly think suffering is something that needs to be quickly alleviated. Uh, and, you know, the Lord came to suffer for us. We have to suffer each other. And I don't mean put up with bad, bad, bad behavior with each other. We need to set limits. We need to have boundaries. But we also do need to suffer through our disappointment with each other and our slowness. And and for people to start to learn that actually an adult's work is you know how to suffer your life. And have joy at the same time. That's that to me is deep psychological health and spiritual health at the same time. Can I suffer and have joy, mm. and uh, and and hold hope? That's that's grown. That's there. We got our you know big boy pants on at that point. We're doing all three of those. Yeah. That's real maturity. Well, I think that's why when we talk about hope, that hope is a theological virtue. It's a grace. I mean, you you when you say yes. put your big boy pants on right there, you're like, man, that's that's a miracle, and. Yes. And it is. I mean, the reality is, yeah. I mean, you're talking about holding the tension of a profound love that you just encountered with the Lord, still trying to reconcile the wholeness of your of your experience in your life and the suffering that's right. there in terms of the tension that it's not quite right. looking the way you would right. want the whole pieces to look. Exactly. And maintaining- Which is always. Which is always. Which is always. I mean, it's the, all the pieces yeah. aren't always together. They're, they aren't always kind of no. lockstep. They aren't. In this life, they never will be all together. Yeah. But we move yeah. towards it, though. We, we move try. towards it, yes. We, we, we hold on to the longing. The longing is holy. And the psychological sort of urge for wholeness is holy. The expectation that everybody should be able to meet it and be with us there is is either naive or arrogant. I don't know which, maybe a combination. Um, and then our desire to judge others from where we've now gotten to be as if they should have been there already is is uh, really naive mm. and and a little mean. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of suffering each other as we as we learn you know how to how to be in this together. And a lot of our growth is going to come. My deepest growth always comes through my suffering. And of course, my suffering, I first always want to escape it. Uh, once I embrace it, that's the place where the Lord needs me most. And that's that's the place where my psyche actually matures the most. Yeah, I know how to hold the paradoxes of life and its tensions together without acting out or numbing out. Right. I don't shut me down. I stay fully aware. I live in the suffering. I don't indulge it. I hold on to my joy. But I also don't just act abruptly to try to end it by doing something that's that's not reflective and not really integrative. So what I've learned over the years is that the first thing I try to do in my suffering is I try to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm always, I think a whole lot about it. I think it. a whole a lot, lot about it. I, I, yes. I read the books. I interview people. Yes. I ask the people. And yes. in some place that's, that's been very helpful for me because it's helped me conceptualize right. suffering right. in a new way, which has been great. Yep. But at the same Definitely time, it's also, been it. a, but it's also been a, a hiccup along the way because then I feel that's right. that when I don't know what I'm experiencing... Um, I, I can, 
I, I can quickly exacerbate my own anxiety, um, which is a, right. which is just a form of pride, you know, and, and a lack of trust in yes. the Lord and His providence. Exactly. So, as we're looking at all this, this is so beautiful, you know, just this mirroring, this this marriage of of recognizing your thoughts, your narratives, your journey towards heaven, approaching this from a, from a real sacramental perspective that in a place of providence, um, that God is in the midst of all this, that we're not trying to be reductionistic, but we're trying to just hold the complexity of all the various elements of ourself. I mean, right. the question, honestly, Paul, is that I'm thinking about this is, is, you know, well, then what is our true self? I mean, it is yeah. people throw yeah. that out kind of liberally, you know, oh, know. You, you know, act out of your true self, be yourself, live yourself. Well, yes, I know. well what the yes. heck does that mean, man? Like, <laughs> yeah. what is that? Uh, I don't and, know. And I, think, <laughs> I, I know. And, I, it, and uh, it's certainly a term I use, but it's a, you know, here's part of my image for it spiritually in terms of my deepest true self. That's always in conversation with God, and I don't listen very well. And I just tell them, if I need to know something, tell me, because I'm crampy at really listening well. But, you know, cue me off if I need to know something here. So I think there's a deeper self that's underneath all of the, it's the, the, the soul's conversation with God. That's really the true self. And psychology cannot approach that. It can try to open up an area of, an area of receptivity. To what's what is the leading edge of longing that tells us something about where we're being called to grow? And can we listen at that level? And I think that level is going to have some psychological manifestations of well, I really I just notice my uh, my shortness with my wife lately, and I'm kind of abrupt, and I'm quite unhappy with my behavior. And I'm I'm wanting to be. It's not just I should be. I want to be more charitable, and I'm not good at it. How can I grow in that? So there's ways to practice that. There may be ways to look at old wounds that need healing. But the true self is that is that voice underneath all of it that's sort of urging us towards greater wholeness. I think. So I don't think we arrive at it. It'd be like the old thing of saying I'm self-actualized. Well, that tells me you're not. <laughs> um, you know, we, it's not a point of arrival, but it's a it's the star we're steering by within ourselves. And we need others to help us discern because we're very self-delusional. So, spiritual director, please, if you can, trusted friends, uh, therapist who has a sense of faith and, and humility about them. Um, uh, but yes, yeah, so I, I don't think we could even, we don't get to do it declaratively, but we see this as a process we're being called into greater truth. That's as good as I can do with it. Yeah. It, it, so the true self, then, if we're talking about it, is the, the, the holy self. I mean, that's a, that's a way to put uh, yeah, spiritual language on that. The, 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 uh, yeah. the, yeah. the fully holy self is, is what's that's there. That's right. And, right. And that's much deeper than just morally ordered behavior. It, yes. it radiates into morally ordered behavior, but it's much deeper than that. The term that JP2 uses in, um, in the Theology of the Body on the eschatological man, he, he says, uh, this is, what's waiting for us is a perfectly mature intersubjectivity. That there's a perfectly yes, mature right. sense of who I am, sense of who you are, in this, yes. in this connectedness, this relationalness that, that's, that's real right. and authentic. And um, that values the fullness of me as a person and the fullness of you as a person. 
yes. the fullness of us as a relationship, as an entity. Right. Um, and can hold it all in truth and love. Yeah. And the psychological piece of yeah. that would be the, 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 the conscious awareness of all of that, that what you're speaking about right now is that the sense That's of, right. and I know we're just getting super deep right now, but this is beautiful. Like this awareness that, that there's, there's an element of our persona that's beyond our, our consciousness, that, 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 right. that place that rests. It's not going to be knowable to us. And then getting to yeah. heaven, journeying is, is the, is the process of unfolding that and being as aware as possible. Yes. Being yeah. as, as self-actualized as possible, although we're not achieving that here on, on Earth. That's right. You know, and you brought up the word in that. I think it's perfectly well said. I, I look right with you. You brought up the word intersubjectivity, which you and I haven't maybe said enough about together, since I think we both in our work in therapy see things through an attachment lens. Mm -hmm. uh, and as we were looking, at least I do, and I, I think, is that true for you too? Yes. Yes, very much so. Yeah. And, and I think as we look at, we we're talking before about different schools of therapy and the research, as I understand it, is always going to point to um, it's the relationship, stupid, meaning uh, underneath whatever you think you're doing, it's the way you're relating intersubjectively with the other person that is the deepest curative factor. Not that the other things are extraneous. But the, the deepest variable, the most that's going to count for the most is, did the person feel known and cared about and understood? So let me ask you this, and as we uh -huh. kind of keep moving on here, yeah. is, there, is there a distinction then between psychological change and growth and spiritual conversion as we talk about it in the Catholic sense? Yeah, I think there is a real distinction. I think the, the latter one is a, uh, surrender into life with Christ, which is really uh, in a, in a, a sort of a self-abandonment that the psyche is not necessarily, uh, actually maybe necessarily isn't going to quite want to do. You know, at the end of, I was just reading Augustine's Confessions. I sent you a paper I'd written around yeah, this. It's beautiful. But at the end of book seven, where Augustine is fully convinced of the truth of God, and he is leaning in that direction, but not wanting to give up the old self, not wanting to quite surrender the ego. And at the end of Book 7, he has this beautiful sentence. Maybe I can even find it here. I've got the paper in front of me. But it goes something like, you know, the, 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 I was understanding your deep truth, so God. Here, I got it right here. Uh, I'm not going to find it. So I was understanding your deep truths and reading the lesser of your apostles. We've been reading Paul. And it was striking at the deep roots within me. So here's a deep conviction he's having. And the next sentence he says is, and I was filled with dread. And I think that's such a beautiful line. Mm. The dread he's feeling is not dread of being judged. It is the dread of losing himself into God. Of that next step of surrender which I think the ego is always going to resist. Mm. And that's why sometimes we need to suffer a lot for the ego to give up. Mm. So I think that's where the spiritual part starts. I think all the other work he was doing psychologically and just educationally was leading in the direction of the truth. But there is a surrender that I don't think the psychic, that often the psyche can be too ego involved and wants to hold on to its own sense of the world and not quite become a, the new man in Christ. So I think the conversion, the deep spiritual conversion is the new man in Christ. Uh, and you, you can be psychologically quite healthy in many ways and resist that, uh, decisively resist that. I mean, change is hard, right? 
I mean, change right, is hard. Who, who, we don't want it. We don't want it. <laughs> we don't want to grow. <laughs> we want to, and we don't. Because we're, it's like we're, we're because we're body soul composite. We're 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 made for happiness and joy and fulfillment. At the same time, we're made for uh, protection, equilibrium, and survival. That's right. <laughs> That's know? right. Well it's said. Like, yes. Like, like, yes. The part of us that uh, wants to protect ourselves and the part of us that wants to surrender ourselves are going to be in tension with each other. Always. Always. Yeah. The part of us that wants to receive and the part of us wants to be in control are going to be in tension with each other. And uh, that's that's being a human being in space and time. That's how that's how we roll, as we say. <laughs> well, it's good to be aware of that and to acknowledge that and to give people encouragement yes. to say that hey, it's all right. You know, we're all we're all on this journey together. That's right. And just be right. And to say, you know what, it's not neatly resolvable. Yeah. 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 But to be honest about it, I mean, I think that's the yeah. thing is that you be honest with your defensiveness. Be honest with that's right. any parts that's right. of you that the ego is holding on to something. And and don't be don't be critical yes. or shaming or judging of it. Just acknowledge even, that even it's there. Be somewhat, and even somewhat honoring. You know, I've I've helped people learn to say to some parts of themselves, "Thank you so much for trying to protect me. You've mm-hmm. been doing that for years. However, it's not leading to happiness. So we're going to take we're going to start living more dangerously. And I mean that in a deep way. We're going to live in more surrender and, and receptivity." Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes, actually, you can even have the parts, this may sound crazy to people, but most parts can sort of have a little conversation. I call it the changing of the guard. Yeah. Where the, the, the you know, the, the healthier part, the, the desire speaks to the other part and says, I, you know, thanks, thanks, buddy. Bravely, <laughs> you started when I was six and you haven't given up, but it's not working that way. I'm I'm okay with that as an intervention. Um, I know some people really ascribe to to different theories that, that break apart the different selves um, and have all these various conversations. And uh, it is a part of me. that's like, I, I get it. I, I get it. There's a part of me. Yeah. There's a part of me. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> there it is. There it is. But only to the degree <laughs> you got me. This is what, this is what happens when two therapists talk to one another. That's right. I think that's true. That's why I always like to quote Cantillon. He certainly yeah. doesn't mean that, that the self has many selves. It doesn't mean that at all. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to get at. Is is to, you can yeah, spend so much time on, only, on identifying yes. the, the defender or the protector, and and people can caught, yes. get caught up in labels. And it's like, no, don't get caught no, up in the labels. Only, it's there's just a pro, there's only you. We're just helping only you. It's helping you to. Come yes. to reconcile these various elements inside right. of you as as concepts. Yeah, and you've developed maybe yeah. different personas or subpersonalities. The yeah. personality is not a person. The personality mm-hmm. is a way of being in the world. Uh, that's what a personality is. It's not our identity. So, for people who are listening to the show and you know struggling with maybe some type of suffering or some psychological yeah. dilemma, what, just generally, what's your what's your first step for people? Where would you encourage people to go? Uh, care a lot about what you're suffering and be very kind to yourself and acknowledge it. And then I would say, find someone else who you think can tolerate hearing, not all the details, but who can look at you with caring eyes and and hear about that you are suffering. But you, it also is going to need to be a, people, a person who doesn't try to rescue you. So it's, a, it's kind of a tricky find sometimes. 
uh, find a good priest if you can, who you could tell about the suffering. Find a psychologist or a therapist if you don't have one of those friends available. And I, I also do think there's a way in which we make an agreement inside ourselves. I will tend to what's happening, and I'm open to understanding what this is trying to tell me, and I'm willing to try to humbly walk into it. So I think there's kind of a, there's almost a receptive posture with ourself. It's not just about trying to get rid of something. It's trying to say, I, I'm willing to understand what's happening here. So that that makes it, but I'd say you 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 need and deserve to be cared about, and you need to be seen in the midst of what's happening to you. And until someone else can see you, and until you have words for it, it's going to have too much power with you. Uh, because things that we can't yet speak tend to be quite powerful inside of us. Uh, so I would say move move in some direction. Certainly exercise, do what you can to sleep, see a physician if you need to, and think about that it's a time for deep caring and maybe a time for real growth and hope in your life. Uh, that this could be a, 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 a forestalled invitation to go somewhere that's going to be quite beautiful for you and that you may need to suffer towards to get there. Uh, don't go private with all of your symptoms. Don't go. Don't go on Facebook with them either. Uh, hold your privacy, but find a place that you get to be caringly seen and known. In that, human beings are supposed to. And I work with a lot of men, and men want to bravely say, "I'm just going to get through this myself." And I've seen a lot of priests do this, and I say, "We are not supposed to be able to do that." It's not that you fail if you can't. You're, you're supposed to not be able to do that. You are, you're, you're here so we can need and help each other and get to know each other. And that's part of the design. You're not supposed to be able to be self-sufficient. That's a fiction. You're supposed to be able to be responsible, but self-sufficiency is a fiction. We need other people. God made us that way. Um, and so I would I'd say, well, do what you can if you can have some respectful relationships to work to deepen them a little bit. But you need to be seen, you need to be able to speak, and you need to care about the whole thing and have it held and caring in somebody else's eyes as well. So that'd be my first, and it doesn't need to be a therapist, but, but certainly could be if there's a good one around you. Um, but it needs to be somebody. I mean, there used to not be any therapists. People still got better. Uh, <laughs> but they did need to be embedded in a community that could care. And then take it into your prayer life and say, you know, I, for me, my, my main prayer at very dark times I had a few years ago was, please help me know how you want to be with me while I go through this. I, I quit saying, please get me out of this. Please let me know how you want me to let you be with me and how you're already being with me. Please let me see how you are making an effort right now to heal me. Not please heal me. Please help me cooperate with the healing that I can almost presume you're all, I think I can presume you're always desiring for me and I get in the way of. Help me surrender in faith to the healing you want to bring. So those would be some of my, you know, if I've had to give sort of foundational things, those would be some of the ways I like to reflect on this. How about for you, Mario? How does that fit? Or? It fits beautifully. I'm taking notes. I'm 
saying those prayers right now as we're, as we're talking. Mm-hmm. Um, no, Paul, I think it's so beautiful in, in your approach and your gentleness. It's what I've always appreciated in our conversations, the, the realism that you approach these topics with, the sobriety that you look at all these things and just the, the deep respect that you have for people uh, in their pain and, and uh, in their circumstances in life. So if people have connected with you in this interview, is there any way they can get some more information or anything to plug, any way they can connect with you in, in some fashion form? You know, I don't have like an online presence. Uh, yeah, by my uh, my email at the seminary would be R U F F. That's F as in Frank. Often sounds like S's on the phone. R U F F zero zero one six at S T Thomas. So there's going to be two T's in a row. S T Thomas dot E D U. R U F F zero zero one six at sdthomas.edu. Now, the only things I could really be available for would be to suggest a book or a resource or a, a sentence of encouragement or a clarification if I, you know, as I have time to do that. I'm, I don't do online therapy or that sort of thing at this point. I'm fully right now employed in the seminary work mm-hmm. and don't have a separate practice that I can do that with them. Yeah. But I'd be happy to respond to questions or suggest, you know, possible resources or clarify some confusing thing that I've said. I'd be, <laughs> be very open to that. Beautiful. Thank you, Paul. And a uh, final question to ask all my guests, what gives you hope? Uh, God. I mean, actually, you know, it's been really interesting. And you and I spoke about this. Um, I, I did go through quite a dark time with what our diocese went through. And uh, the the catch word, and I, I share it because the people have found it useful. As I came out of that myself, the one thing, and I don't generally hear God, and I didn't hear him outside of me. So this could be my psychological wish, but it wasn't. It had a real convicting thing to it. As I kind of came out of my dark time, or was on my way over the top of the hill of it and into the maybe a new valley of some peace. The one thing I heard God say is, wait till you see what I'm going to do next. And I thought, you know, there's the voice of hope. And it is such a guiding principle in my life at this point uh, that something always wants to happen next. God always has the last word. And he actually takes quite a delight in what he's going to do next. And so even while I was still kind of in a depressed, anxious state, I signed on. I said, I'm there. I'm going to watch. And I'll be part of this. And it was invitational. And I think it's invitational to all of us because we're all part of it. So we have to all be some source of hope as we go through things. But first of all, our hope is in, in, in God because he's up to something. And he's calling us into something. And that's, uh, to me, just a very powerful place to sit and meditate a little while. Yeah. And I don't meditate well. I'm very squirrely. I run around a lot and think too much. But the little bit I can can be is very useful in that. Very useful. Well, Paul, that's a beautiful way to end this episode and everything we've talked about by change and conversion, holding on to that last statement of uh, promising, the God's promises, rather, uh, that yes. he will have something for us next. Wait until we see what he has for us next. So, Paul, thank yes. you so much for being a guest and for all the good work that you do to the people there and the seminarians at St. Thomas. God bless you and your family, and, and I hope you just have a great day. 
Great, and God bless you and all of your listeners. And, and it will be interesting to first of all to keep watching what's what's next and beautiful work you're doing with this, Mario. Thank yeah. you for it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. All Take right. care. Bye bye. Yes, he is one of the most balanced and self-possessed people that I know. I'm grateful to have recorded this show. So what's the takeaway for me? Well, God loves you, even if you are in psychological distress. And sometimes it is the suffering that leads to emotional maturity. But knowing exactly what God is doing is often mysterious. And that is why we need trusted individuals in our lives who are journeying with us to make sense and to help process the pain that we experience. And so I encourage you, please do not feel like you have to go it alone. Invite friends into the distress. Speak with a spiritual director or some sort of spiritual mentor. And if you need to, find a good, healthy counselor that can help guide this journey for you. So God bless you. Thank you for listening to the show. I pray that it's been a blessing. And don't forget to head on over to Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa to dialogue with me. I would love to hear your thoughts and your experiences with this show and with the podcast as a whole. So thanks everybody. God bless and be good. Mm-hmm.